Welcome to the Six Degree Podcast, the podcast where we grill our guests about the things that make them tick and find out how human connection plays a role in their life. I'm your host, Emily Merrill. Hello, and welcome back to the Six Degree with Emily Merrill, the podcast where we grill our guests about the things that make them tick and find out how human connection plays a role in their life. I'm your host, Emily, and today I am thrilled to have my friend Monica Mumphrey as our guest. Monica, welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Emily. It is so fun having you here, too. You have been one of our I don't want to say like founding members, but essentially like near founding members of Six Degrees Society. And it has been so cool watching your growth and evolution from like micro side hustler to like a full-time side hustler. Uh, so first and foremost, can you tell our audience who you are and what you do? Sure. Well, it's crazy to think it's been, I think like three years or so. Yeah, it's like three years. Walk yeah. through the door. Um, I am a high school teacher here in Brooklyn, New York. I teach high school literature and I've been teaching for 14 years. On the side, I help course creators launch and create their courses in VIP and intensive day settings, as well as get visible on the gram slash social media, but really I just love Instagram. It's like my favorite thing in the whole world. So you can find me hanging out all the time. And if that's not enough between teaching and side hustling, I actually started doing all of this because I teach yoga a few times a week. And I think that's crazy. You are one of the most active people I think I've ever met in my life. I'm like, oh, how was your weekend? You're like, oh, I I spoke to 30,000 women on Facebook or I like taught a yoga class for charity or something. And you always have a give, give back component to your life. Like I always feel like you have just a charitable element to your, um, to everything that you do. But first and foremost, like you, you nailed it. Like when I first met you, you had, you were a yoga teacher, like you were just dabbling in this entrepreneurial world, like dipping your toe into it, teaching, I think, weekly at Athleta. Um, and what was the name of your company again, the the yoga version? So when it was just yoga, it was The Wealthy Teacher. And then you, like within the last two years, you've pivoted to social media. And guys, I don't know if y'all struggle with like Instagram and showing up on Instagram like I do, but Monica makes showing up on Instagram look like it is as easy as eating ice cream. Like, how do you do it? What are the secrets that you have in showing up and being such an authentic person to your audience? Well, the very first thing is I used to really struggle. I thought you had to show up like three times a day and have all these amazing posts. And I was, I remember sitting on the subway to go to work and be like, oh my gosh, I have to post today. I have to post. And I didn't have anything to say. And I was on Instagram because I wanted to help my yoga classes get really busy. It's hard in New York City to be a yoga teacher. And if you're brand new, even harder. And so I was kind of hitting a roadblock. Like content wasn't coming out. I just was getting really overwhelmed. And I stopped really posting for a little bit and just started to hang out in Instagram stories. This is when they were like still pretty new. <laughs> Novel, when they were exciting. Like nobody really knew. And I all of a sudden started to like Instagram a little bit more. And the more I hung out in stories, the more I sort of saw my Instagram start to grow. And I did some of the different courses out there from different teachers and just realized that I was putting a lot of time and energy into Instagram and I wasn't enjoying it. And so the more that I stepped back and let myself be who I was in my Instagram stories, the more people started to respond to me. 
And then I realized I don't have to show up every single day inside of my post as long as I just show up on Instagram. And so that's where I started to do more work on Instagram stories. I, I'm a talker, so it's easy for me <laughs> to pop my camera and talk to it. And somehow I found a way to make, you know, find the 30 minutes a day spread out over three aspects. So I do like 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at noon time, and 10 minutes in the evening, ideally. Uh, it made it like a lot more easy. And I think about um, working out, right? Like you work out so much more than I do. It's hard for me, <laughs> even though I teach yoga, especially being at home. But if I just do something for like 10 or 15 minutes, it's much easier. And that's how I think about Instagram. If I only do it for 10 minutes, it becomes a little bit easier for me. And when, how do you figure out what you're going to talk about? I think that's the most paralyzing thing for me. And for most people, they're like, no one's interested in like seeing what I ate for breakfast and no one wants to see like my workout. And, um, I, I think I'm, 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 yeah, I'm going to talk about myself personally. Like I get so overwhelmed with like, what's the content that I should be delivering and how do I figure that out? What that is. Yeah, I think that was super hard for me when I started. I remember one of my friends saying to me, like, I love your Instagram posts, but I don't understand what you do. And then she was like, one day you're posting like yoga asana photos. And then the next day you're talking about like being a teacher inside the classroom. And then you're talking about health. And then you're back to talking about brunch spots. And it was just, I was all over the place. And that's when I became aware of this idea that happens in a lot of different teachers' courses about Instagram some people call them pillars or buckets or like the topics. I call them, I, I gravitate towards the word bucket. And so once I decided like what were the six, the five or six topics that I like to talk about, it made my content become a little bit easier to write. I also stopped trying to use pictures of myself every single day mm. and I have a grid. So one day I have a quote, one day I have a picture of myself. So I let the quote sometimes help me. And if I'm really honest, not having post every single day took away a lot of the like pressure of what to post about. So if I don't post for two days, I feel pretty okay. And some days I'll post every day, but most of the time it's like every other day that I show up and post, but bucket. Buckets. Okay. So for someone that is wanting, you know, taking notes as they're listening to this, if they were to start exploring their buckets, like what's a way that you would encourage people to start thinking about exploring like what buckets they can offer to their community. And, you know, for you, do you take those six buckets and do you strategically think like, okay, I'm going to do this bucket, this bucket, this bucket, and then these buckets on the next day and then alternate, like walk us through your process. Yeah. So the way I came up with my buckets is I thought about all the things that I was posting. And then I thought about what made these things unique. What was the what was the undercurrent? And what I noticed is a lot of my posts were about self-care. A lot of my posts were about teacher sustainability. A lot of my posts were about showing up authentically at yourself. A lot of my posts were about connection and collaboration. And so those kind of became the buckets that I worked into my plan. I don't per se have a day where it's like Monday's motivation and Tuesday's technique. I do that in my Facebook group. But in my Instagram, I think about what is coming up for me in my business or what's coming up for my clients? How does that fall into a bucket and what's a story I could tell about that? So uh, if you go to my post from, I think it's this morning, it feels like so long ago. <laughs> um, but yesterday I had, a, well, Wednesday I had a mammogram and that's a part of my story um, as a BRCA1 mutation holder. 
and I, I always avoid them because they're hard. Like they hurt. Who wants to like get your, you know, your breast your boobs smushed. Yeah. It's, it's like not fun. Right. And then of course, like when you have a genetic mutation and, um, you know, my sister has passed away from breast cancer. It's like, if I don't go, then I won't know. It's almost that idea. So the post I wrote about was doing like, when things are hard, we have to do them. And then that just doesn't apply to getting a mammogram, right? That applies to, we've talked about this. Um, it's really hard for me to send emails to my community. It's like, I'd rather go on Instagram and share with the world than send an email because it's hard for me. But when I send the email, it's easy. And so the post became about doing hard things, whether that is going to book a mammogram or sending an email to your community or as a teacher calling a student's parents. And so the undercurrent of that again is, business. And so every time I started to think about what's coming up for me, what's the story, and then how does that fit into a bucket? And it doesn't have to be so clear, but it makes sense. So this bucket today, I guess you could say like doing hard things is really about wellness as well as about business because the comments that people have are not just about the difficulty of getting a mammogram, but comments about like, yeah, it is hard to like do things in our business. But once we do them, they're oftentimes a lot easier. Yeah. And more rewarding than we, than like we psyched ourselves out to have them be. So with Instagram too, um, thank you. That was really, that was a great way of describing it. Um, I have a few more questions regarding like the process itself. So, you know, going live is something, it blows my mind still how many people have never like put their, the camera on themselves. Like it's a really intimidating thing or there, there's so much judgment of, what people are going to think of them in going live. Like there's that fear that people are going to think they look stupid or they don't have the right information to share or they stutter or whatever, but it's all about authenticity. Do you have any pro tips of like how to best talk to your audience? Like, do you say like, Hey guys, or do you talk to one person? Do you, um, do you just ramble or do you like, set an agenda from the get-go. I would love your thought process and strategy before clicking go live. Yeah. So I always say like, if if you've never gone live before, there's some benefits of going live. You can always delete it. That's a really great thing, right? Nobody has to see it anymore. It's not saved. Um, But before I started going live, and I'll be honest, I tell my clients to go live a lot and I haven't always been going as live as much as I should, but I love Instagram stories. So if like me, for a long time. I just, the way we sound to ourselves is not how we sound to others. So I really hate the way my voice sounds. Um, so I wouldn't, I wasn't on TV and I wasn't on camera and I don't like the microphone. But when I realized that video was where it was at, because even before the pandemic, like if you were on Instagram stories, that's how you sold. I started to do IG stories. And what I loved about them is I could practice. And if I thought I looked corny, I could just delete it. And I had this opportunity to edit it. So when people are saying to themselves, like, I don't think I can go live, I always say, try an Instagram story. Try videotaping yourself. And then it goes away after 24 hours. Most people don't save them. We're not teenagers who are using Snapchat to try to get their friends in trouble. So very few people actually care. That's the other thing is like most people actually really don't care. If only 5% of your content gets seen, there's a a likely chance that nobody's going to see your story, which is beautiful. And also, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's like such a pro con con pro. Yeah. But it is nice to go, um, to do IG stories. And I think it was actually the six degrees event where somebody was there talking about how 
you'll know the name and I forgot it, but he, I think his piece of advice is what changed my opinion of stories. And he said, I literally do all my stories in one day, just, you know, shoot like really quick snippets. And it reminded me that it doesn't have to be such a drawn out process to, to do something and to just talk for a minute. So practice on stories. And then on Instagram lives, what I've been doing is I usually have three points that I want to get through. Um, and so I just like write out my really general terms. And the other thing is I don't like to talk for very long, even though I do talk a lot, but I try to keep all of my IG lives to like 10 minutes. And if I notice that I've messed up, I just hit the stop button and it's okay. Or just let it be what it is. The other thing I think we feel like I did Marie Forleo's B-School. And I thought the way you had to show up was like, she does all like perfect and bouncy hair and the perfect lighting. And that's great. Um, if you have that option, but that's not also not what my clients are looking for. And so the more authentic I was on camera, the more mistakes I made, the more I was open to sharing who I am and what I was about, the more clients I ended up seeing, the more people came to me. I moved away from teacher self-care because people were asking me, how do you grow your business? I see you everywhere. How do I get more visible? And I just started to realize that that's, that's what matters more than the perfection. We can all edit it. I wish I had a YouTube channel. (laughs) Hey, that's next. That's the next thing on your to-do list. But you don't have, while you don't have a YouTube channel, you do show up in a lot of Facebook lives. And that's something that I think has been really impressive because that's another super intimidating platform where you're talking to people that you're not 100% sure are even paying attention to you. And you're like literally talking to your face on on, on Facebook, right? It's weird. It's like, I think that's the weirdest thing. It's like right now I'm having this conversation with you, but I get to see your beautiful face and it's like, you're receiving what I'm saying and I'm receiving what you're saying. And so when you're talking to, to nobody, so to speak, both on Instagram live and Facebook can be super daunting and it can feel like no one's there. So on those moments when you feel like no one's commented, no one's viewing, do you have any advice for people on like, you know, consistency or keeping going? Yeah. Uh, this was really hard. I used to think, well, number one, when you think nobody's watched it and you're tempted to delete it, don't delete, especially if it's on Facebook, just let it rock. If it's on Instagram, archive it. Like you don't want to delete. Um, but it reminds me of, So when we go on a diet or when we start a workout plan, if we, we give something like a week and we're like, Oh, it didn't work. Well, we have to do it over and over and over again. And I have, um, so my boyfriend likes to say, I'm like a squirrel. I have shiny object syndrome. I see something. I'm like, Oh, next, next, next. Uh, but that's not how the business world works. That's not how you get visible. That's not how you get known. And so, I mean, I started my Instagram course in April. I sold it out twice. And now I've been on podcasts about Instagram, but it's not because I, I've been doing the same thing over and over, but I just started to get my message really clear. And then people start to see me because I took some chances at showing up and going live. One of the things I say to people is if you are going to go live, tell people that you're going to go live. So make an Instagram story. People, if they know you're going to go live, they're more likely to show up. So if nobody knows you're live, I did an impromptu live the other day in collaboration and like, people watched it because I didn't plan it. It was my, it was on me. Like the people who showed up were great, but yeah, no one knows if you're not talking to them. It's like the email that you don't send. 
Like nobody knew. So, but when I show up, so every Saturday I go live in a group of 400,000 women and there's, you know, 400,000 people are not watching me, but that's how many people are a member. But I've been going live on Saturdays at 1130 for the last like three months. So people start to know and start to show up. And when they show up in the comments, they're like, Hey, Monica. And I might say the same thing every week, but they still show up because it's consistent or they know that that's happening. And so when we start to show up for our audience consistently, they'll start to show up for us consistently. I love that. I think, I think that's such great advice just about like, if we make this assumption that everyone knows our every move, that people know everything that you're doing. And, you know, I, I just sold out our mastermind, but I think it took like three to four emails before people signed up for like a, a free call with me to see if it was the right fit. And they'd had, they've received the other three emails, but it's like adjusting the wording a little bit more. And then the last one resonated with them and that's when they signed up. And I think it's so fascinating because it, we're sensitive humans and we think that if someone doesn't like, or if they don't respond immediately, it means they're not interested. I think one, people don't know what they don't know. And two, you kind of like have to, you have to like tap them so many times before they actually recognize that you're there. It's like, it's so hard. And it's, um, I think they say it's like seven times of points of contact that people need before they buy. But it's even just like seven times of watching you were like, the other thing I think is really hard and it still affects me is like, you'll see people pop on and then they'll pop off. And it's very easy to say like, oh, they don't like what I just said, but we don't know what I, I will say this, what Zoom has taught me, because I also teach you via Zoom is that like, you don't know why people leave. You don't know if they leave because they didn't like what you had to say or their internet went down or they forgot to charge their phone or their computer or, you know, I don't know. Someone called them. Like there's so many reasons why people leave a conversation. And so we think what I've learned in the last few months that's actually helped me everywhere else is we can't control how other people feel. What we can say is like, oh, that person left. Great. Like let them go, but keep serving the people who are there. The great thing about Facebook lives is every time somebody leaves, like five more people pop on because it starts to show up inside of their feed. And so that's something I've tried to remember too, is that when something is real time on social media, like it's not real. It's just what's happening in that moment. And then what's really nice about lives is that you can save them and they can be replayed and you can do a watch party. So if you didn't get anybody watching your Facebook live, maybe it was just the timing. Like if I go live at two o'clock, lots of my teacher friends are at work. Uh, So if I do a watch party and I just reuse that, I might get 20 more likes at the end of the day. So sometimes it's not what happens in the moment that matter. It's what happens after the moment. Nailed it. I love that. I think that's so helpful. And I've always wondered what watch parties are. So I'm going to definitely go and explore that feature. And I love the idea of like repurposing the content that was already being created, or you can even download it and upload it into IGTV. Like there's, or YouTube, your YouTube channel. Like there's so much that you can do with it. Um, so Monica, the other day you taught one of the best events that we have done in a very long time. Like literally guys, it sold out. There were so many people there. Monica, like I took, I think half a notebook full of notes because it was just so helpful. And it was on the theme of building a course. And, um, the title was so cute. It was get out of your head and into your course. And like literally minds were blown. I was getting so many messages being like, she is a miracle. This is extraordinary. How did she, how does she know this? So tell us about 
A, the misconceptions that people typically have about course creation and B, is this because you're a teacher, you just know how to do this or like, how, how are you so good at building these courses? Um, so the first misconception is that you have to have your course done and dusted before you can sell it. Like that's not true about anything in life. Actually, nothing is a final like thing as an, I teach high school literature. So, you know, the final draft is we have a whole process but so you should start to sell your course before it's actually finished, or you should start to let people know that it's ready to go um, before it's actually ready. In fact, I always think about this just occurred to me, like you were in fashion. I mean, when things go down the fashion, like catwalk or New York fashion week, it's like July and they're showing winter because they're not going to create a whole line of winter jackets if they were terribly received in New York fashion week. And it's the same thing with our course. Like we can put out a course and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, we go back and fix it. I don't know why I didn't think of that analogy the other day, but yeah, for uh, sure. It's like you, you test it out. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing about courses is that I think uh, a lot of people, myself included, think it was always about the workbook, not to go back to B school. But when I did B school, I printed off all the workbooks and I was like, Oh my gosh, my course has to have like all these graphics and all these, this writing. And then I like, first of all, never wrote in the workbooks. I've killed so many trees but they're still here because I feel some sort of like I have to connect to them. And then I bought somebody else's course who had a significant impact on my business and her workbooks were literally a prompt, a page. And I was like, wait, that's all you have to do. And you can make $500,000 by doing, and it just made me realize that sometimes that's our fear talking to is like, well, if I have all of these other things, people will pay however much I'm asking for the course. It's funny I'm saying this because I also have some money mindset things to work through, but it's easier sometimes to know it than it is to do it. And I think that's when you ask me, is it just because I'm a teacher? I actually didn't think I was very good at course creation, even though I've been writing curriculum for a very long time. Curriculum is my jam. I've presented at national conferences on curriculum and on creating, engaging and thinking outside the box. But when it came to being a teacher, I used to just say, I'm just a teacher. I didn't realize that a course is really just writing curriculum backwards, like thinking about that. And so it was when I started to, I paid for a course program and I loved it and it taught me a lot, but I realized that a lot of the things it taught me, I already knew what it taught me that I didn't know were some of the marketing, some of the ideas of just like putting something out there. And then it had me thinking a little bit like different ways about how I am as a teacher and how I can bring that. But one of the books, if anybody is interested in knowing how teachers think, it's called Understanding by Design and it's, it's backward design. So we start with the end in mind. And actually that's not unique to just teaching. It's really unique in anything else. But once I realized that that's a skill I already had, it has made creating courses easier. And once I sit with somebody can show them that it also helps them think, Oh, this isn't so hard. Like I don't need to have 12 modules ready to go before I sell my course. I can maybe have like five modules outlined and sell my course or I could have one module and of that one module probably create 12 weeks of content. Well, I think that was the thing that blew so many people's minds the other night was when you talked about like, you could sell your course before you even even built your course. Like you could sell your course, get all the people in, kind of see what the pain points have, like a very broad idea of like what you're going to be 
executing on. And then like based on input or surveys from people that you get, you're able to put together what the course is going to actually look like. And, and that's so foreign to, to perfectionist. And that's so foreign to like what you think about business in general, you think you should have like the finished product ready to rock and roll and the doors are open and everyone wants my finished product. It's ready for it. But like no one gives a shit about your finished product. They want you. They're interested in learning from Monica or they're learning from from you as a person, not like exactly what the specific nitty gritty details are of module one, two, three to 12. And most of us aren't creating courses that certify people. Now there are people who are doing yoga courses or doing a health coaching course or a life coaching course. And at that point, yeah, then that's a very different way of thinking about if you have to get certified and people have to take a test. But the majority of us are working with people who are looking for some sort of change or they just, they want help in that. And so as long as we address whatever the need is, the transformation and tell them what we're going to deliver, then how we get there is different. The other thing is I've learned as a teacher is I overplan. So I always have more to teach than I actually could get that we learned at the other night. But what that does, it allows us to pick and choose. Like, what is your course? What is your clients? What is your group of students really need right in the moment? And as a teacher, I think any teacher will tell you that the lesson plan that was on the sheet of paper is never the lesson plan that's actually taught. Unless it's like your observation. And then you really hope that it's the lesson plan that you actually like wrote up. But that's Part of it is also like, how do we respond in those moments of flexibility um, when we're teaching and when we're running a course? Oh, I love that. And with courses, like for those who are listening and they're like, what, what do you mean by course? Like, what is a course? Can you describe like what you think a course is and, and how, like an example of how one could be structured? Yeah. I mean, I use the word course and program interchangeably, but they're, they're actually two very different things. So a course might teach us something. So for instance, if you go to something called Udemy or Teachable, there are courses on how to decorate a cupcake. So we'll use that as like an example. So a course teaches you the steps with which to create something at the end of it. So it could be how to create a cupcake or I bought courses on how to send direct messages to people about courses on how to create a funnel for your business. So the idea is that there's an end result and the person walks you through the steps to get there. Then there's something like a program or uh, like the mastermind that you mentioned, whereby there might be meetings and the tangible result at the end of it could be more of a feeling or an experience. So a confidence program or a public speaking program. They could be a course. So a course would have like, so let's use public speaking. A course would be by the end of this course, you will write your first TED talk. And a program might be something like by the end of this program, you'll have enough, you will understand how to apply it for a TED talk and have the confidence to deliver it. So they're both like similar, but slightly different outcomes. And the outcome is what makes it a, pro- a course or a program. I love that. Oh, you, it was interesting. You said about like the outcome first and like taking the end result and building even- building backwards. That's actually what I do with our events as well, is I always start with the dates first. And then the venue, uh, then the speaker, I usually have themes of like what each month, then the speaker second, and then the venue third. Like Mm -hmm. literally I have 
this is terrible to admit on a podcast probably, but like there have been moments where I'm like, oh crap, it's like the week of the event and I don't have any idea where we're going to host it. But it always, there's always a plan B. There's always like a breather that could be the potential place that we're hosting it. Um, but the venue is actually the easiest thing to like figure out while, you know, marketing and allowing more time on the website is more important than like the, the venue itself. And I think it's so important too. Like when we think about the end result, it's like you want to create something that you know you can deliver and that's achievable. So we don't want to overpromise because the only time I've ever been upset in a course or a program was when somebody said like, by the end of this, you'll be able to do this, this, and this. And then their course didn't line up to that. But I think that's when we start to think about like, what are we actually teaching and what's, uh, what's achievable? And then just to tell people, like the other thing is most people don't finish courses. That's why I like, I prefer programs. And even then I don't always finish the program, but most people don't finish the course because we always have the best intentions, but without the person on the other side holding us accountable, most of us don't do it. I think about even like working out, like if it wasn't for having to show up and see my trainer's face, like I probably wouldn't be working out. I very rarely work out right now. Um, and that's why I liked group classes, right? It was accountability. And so we all need accountability. So oftentimes a live program will have a better end result because it has that accountability piece. But then the course is like the low hanging fruit offer. That's a little bit more passive. It can be evergreen. It can be sold without it like launching at a particular time or it can launch at a like a quarterly launching. But um, I think that's such a great differentiation of like what, what a course is to a program. Um, staying in the same, in the same arena, if anyone here, like for me, it was so helpful going through your event the other night because I'm like, I'm a business coach. I, I know a lot of things. I planned like thousands of events and there are still moments where I feel like, I don't know what people would want to learn from me. And of course it feels so overwhelming to like hone in on one particular area. Do you have any advice on helping people get clear on what they should be focused on and how to, how to kind of outline it further? There's two like things that I always ask. It's uh, one is like, what does your audience want? And then what do they need? And so for instance, I might, so I'll use you for example, like you might want to do a course that like people might want to learn from you how to create a membership, like six degree society. Um, but what they really need to understand is how to help people know how to show up and connect. So the, when you mentioned networking, like networking, you have to learn if you want to know how to have a membership. So giving them what they want or what they need are really important. And then also the other thing is if it's going to be longer than four weeks, make sure it's something that you like to do. You don't like to do it and you're not getting paid well for it. It'll start to feel resentful. So make sure that you pick something that you feel like you could talk about and show up for, for as long as you committed to showing up for. Oh, such great advice. And I will definitely be doing your VIP day so you can help guide me through like what the hell I am going to be offering and, and having that sounding board will just be so helpful. So can you tell us more how people can find out more about Monica Mumphrey, more about Teach Wealthy or Wealthy Teacher and the wealth and your Facebook group as well? Yeah, sure. You can find me on all social media at Monica Monfrey. It's 
just my first and last name and the last name's M-O-N-F-R-E. And that's an easy trick to just, so when you are telling people where to find you on social media, same profile everywhere. Uh, you can work with me. So I've been offering these amazing five hour VIP slash intensive days as an opportunity for you to get really serious on how you're going to design, deliver, and dazzle your audience with your course. So sure, you can spend 12 weeks to you know, create a course, or you could just spend five hours and get it all mapped out. And then you get an extra hour with me on the phone to make sure that you have the accountability to move that course from paper inside of your head to on a platform where your audience can find it. And if you're really looking for some amazing women to connect with, to practice pitching, selling, I would love to have you join the Wealthy Women Entrepreneur Collective and Wealthy is spelled W-E-L-L-T-H-Y. I, I know I love this thing with language. Uh, it's the wealthy, <laughs> he is an English teacher. <laughs> I am. The Wealthy Women Entrepreneur Collective. Or you can come to my website, which is monicamonfree.com. And there's an opportunity to purchase there inside of the store and we'll get you set up. It's an amazing membership that gets you in front of over a thousand women. I think that's so cool. And I, that, God, that could be a whole nother podcast about like monetizing a Facebook group, which, you know, Facebook groups feel so passive sometimes. And you've done a great job of making it feel like every time I go in there, these women are just bustling. They're like full of ideas and supporting and helping each other. And if you guys are thinking about starting your own Facebook group, definitely hop on over to, to Monica's and check it out. Well, Monica, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story, for giving, like for dropping so many tips. I feel like we just totally took advantage of, of your brain for the last 30 minutes. And um, again, can't wait to see what you create next. Thank you again for being here. Thanks for having me, Emily. 